16 have been found guilty of the murder of a trans teenager in Cheshire. 16 year old. 16 was stabbed with a hunting knife 28 times in her head, neck, chest, and back in Lydia. And the jury took just four hours and 40 minutes before it came back a few minutes ago and found both the defendants guilty. The girl who killed Brianna was fascinated by her. The boy referred to her as it. So yesterday, two teenagers were convicted of Brianna Jai's murder. And today we're going to tell you more about what's going to happen when they're sentenced and we'll bring you more on the news that their names will be released. And we've got an interview with Mike Evans, the head of crime at Cheshire Police, who investigated Brianna's murder and was one of the first at the scene in the park that day. Welcome to episode 10, Justice for Brianna. So, Liz, in our verdict episode yesterday that we brought um, live from Manchester Crown Court, just after three o'clock it was when the jury came back into court two and declared that both defendants, Girl X and Boy Y, were guilty. Even though, as we said yesterday, the jury couldn't be sure, the police couldn't be sure, the court couldn't be sure who wielded the knife, when did they both wield a knife, was there another knife, at what point, whether it was one of them or both of them, they were jointly responsible. So the jury decided that it really didn't matter that both of them had a hand in what happened to Brianna. Both of them were jointly responsible, like you said, Caroline. And, you know, it was really dramatic, that that moment. You're not human if you don't get kind of butterflies in your stomach. Um, stakes are high at, at that point. Uh, this, they're really high every time, but these were two children in the dock. Yeah. Emotional from beginning to end. The judge alluded to that at the end when she dis when she discharged the jury. She said... You never would have known this was the kind of case yeah. you were going to get when you arrived to do your duty that day for jury service. So, yeah, the stakes are really high. You never predict a jury. You never predict how long they're going to take. No. You never predict what they're going to say. Maybe we knew, maybe we guessed they might not take very long in this case, but just over four hours and they were back. I think, you know, the more cases you do, the more you kind of um, get a feel for you know how long the jury might take but um i think the evidence was so overwhelming that we all thought you know they they probably aren't going to be out for days and days you know there were you know audible gasps from the public gallery when the foreman delivered the verdicts from brianna's parents who were up there and they've done something really really terrible these two kids but you still can't help but feel for their parents Boy Y's mum was sobbing in the courtroom and um, Girl X's parents were also, you know, in tears. And you do have to have a degree of um, sympathy for them. And even Brianna's mum alluded to that in that incredible statement that she gave on the court steps. Yeah, I mean, there was obviously a fairly dramatic reaction from all the parents in court. Very little reaction from Girl X and Boy Y. No, I mean, it, they were pretty blank. Um mm does make you kind of wonder what on earth was going through their minds she kind of cast a glance at her parents as she was like led down and but he could couldn't even make eye contact with his mum which you know maybe telling but there was no tears from them 
And it was a really busy day. And as you alluded to there, Liz, we had a lot of statements on the court steps afterwards that we brought you yesterday in the verdict episode. For everyone who heard the statement from Dad, Peter Spooner, there won't be a dad in this country that won't have identified with what he was saying. He talked about just his pride in Brianna. He was always amazed at her talent, um, her TikToks, her... Yeah, talks about her laughing into her phone and... Yeah, and he just was going back over his life with his child and he was he was bereft on those steps, utterly bereft. Well, what really got me was when he was talking about how he felt like he couldn't protect her and he couldn't have been there for her. You know, that's just dreadful. Obviously, you know, he's, he obviously feels... I mean, he talked about feeling guilty, which is just horrendous really you know and and not wanting any other family to go through what he's been through that's the horrible irony actually of all of this that she was doing something that teenagers every day all over the country all over the world do every day they go to the park with someone they think is Mm -hmm. a friend and that takes me to brianna's mum's statement you know esther jai and made the point that she thought she was with her friend And we know that Esther sent a text message to Brianna as Brianna was leaving that day. She was on the bus that day to say she was proud of her Mm. for overcoming a little bit of that anxiety that she was suffering from and getting out, going, doing normal things in the park with someone she viewed as a friend. And that must be, well, she said it was haunting. It was entirely, entirely a normal thing to do. And I mean, it's the ultimate betrayal, really, that she kind of went to meet um, Girl X because she thought she was her friend and this awful thing happened. One of the other really sad moments was the fact that Brianna had been scared that day. She had been scared to go to the park because it wasn't what she often did because she did have some anxiety, which her mum has been Mm. really open about. And and as we talked about yesterday, she now campaigns um, for school teachers to be more aware of anxiety and mindfulness in schools and just working with young people. So she's a really campaigning force now and a really articulate force Mm. to support children in whatever struggles they face navigating the world, whether that's anxiety or mental health problems but she's a real campaigning force for that and the judge said yesterday after their convictions you know she she addressed the defendants directly you will be aware that there's no other sentence that i can impose other than a life sentence but she did make the point that you know it was up to her now to determine the minimum term that they will serve before they can be released or eligible for parole now that's why the sentencing hearing is now being postponed until february the 2nd because she wants to have reports from more professionals into their kind of well-being and their mental state before she makes that decision on the, the length of the minimum term. Also, we now know, don't we, Caroline, that for the first time on that date, we will be able to tell you their um, full names for the first time. Yeah, so there was a hearing this morning. Um, at that hearing, various arguments were made about whether the identities of these two defendants should be known It's taken on case-by-case basis. And in fact, um, Mrs Justice Yip did not name a recent child defendant that she dealt with um, in another court. So it's not automatic. In this case, she's decided that the arguments were strong enough. The public interest is served better by having their identities out there. But as you said, not yet. 
Yeah, so what she said was, you know, she has to ba- a balancing act to perform and she has to weigh up the public interest in naming the two defendants against um, the effect on them and the effect on the wider public. But what she did say was that Brianna's murder was such a shocking event that she feels that public need to know the identities of Brianna's killers so they can better understand how children could do something so dreadful is other words that she actually used in her judgment um i mean and she said you know she accepted that the welfare of the defendants would be detrimentally affected by them being named and she mm. understood that their families will be worried we know don't we that some of them have had death threats uh, they're worried about harassment but the judge said the reason she was delaying their names being in, put in the public domain until the sentence was so that the authorities could put measures in place to better protect their wider families. She alluded as well to Brianna's mum's words on the court steps yesterday, which in that moment, in, that, in her grief, her empathy for the families mm. of the two defendants was really humbling, wasn't it? That she asked the public and she asked people to have empathy, to be understanding that not only had she lost a child, but they had also lost yeah, and you think, children. Well, gosh, you know, her daughter was killed in such a brutal manner. For her to be able to kind of have the ability to say that and to, to think about the parents of, of the kids that have done this to her own daughter, I, you know, I just found that incredible, really. The judge actually made the point that anyone that was considering uh, directing any vitriol or malice towards the parents of these defendants would do well to remember that they'd be acting against the wishes of Brianna's bereaved mother. And um, she actually said they might also question the part they're playing in society in the context of a case in which dark thoughts and hateful messages became enacted in real life. We felt it was um, such a big decision today and such a, a sort of key moment in all of this trial and this verdict that we wanted to get David Banks back on to the podcast. David Banks is a legal expert and a legal commentator. He's been on our podcast before, you may remember, and he was kind enough to come back on just to reflect a little bit on what today's judgment and today's decision actually means. David, thank you so much for talking to us and spending time because we've just had this news from court that Girl X and Boy Y will be named by Justice Yip um, in February when they're sentenced. And we just thought you've been on the podcast before. You are a legal commentator, a legal expert. What your thoughts are on that decision? I think probably watching the trial and the issues it's raised, um, it's not entirely surprising that the uh, judge has been persuaded to lift the reporting restrictions. Uh, this isn't an automatic thing at the end of these sorts of trials. Children and young people in, in the courts are, are generally anonymised you know, during the proceedings, and that's certainly what happened with this trial. But sometimes in cases of you know, very great public interest where we have had very serious crimes, you know, the court is persuaded by the media and is listens to media arguments that there is a public interest in naming uh, some young people in these circumstances because of the very serious nature of the crime. Yeah, that's interesting, isn't it? That's really interesting that she's imposed this four weeks until the sentencing. Yeah, I mean, that, that 
it definitely is unusual. You know, with most cases, um, it, it kind of happens straight away. But here, I think the the, the judge has said that um, she wants to give time because she acknowledges that the impact that it's going to have on the two defendants, the impact it might have on their um, families. Um, she wants to give time for that preparation to be made. But um, I think she's made it clear that when that sentencing hearing happens, then the anonymity of the two will be lifted. It was interesting what you said there, David, about it not being automatic. Um, and of course, Justice Yip also presided over the trial um, in the murder of Ava White recently. And she didn't name the defendant in that case. Um, again, that defendant was a bit younger and situations are always different. But it it's important to say, isn't it, that... It's not automatic. She has taken this decision deliberately based on arguments she's heard in court and she's been persuaded, I suppose, by the very nature of what she's heard. Yeah, I think I think if you read her judgment, and it is a very careful and measured judgment, she conducts this balancing exercises, which judges do every time, weighing up you know, the public interest in, in identification and open justice, which is very important, but also other factors which can come into play, like you know vulnerability of defendants, the you know the age of defendants. Sometimes, I mean, one of the things that she did note was defendants no longer get um, a lifetime anonymity if they get made an order made about them. Um, it comes to an end uh, when they attain adulthood. So she makes the point in her judgment that this anonymity is going to come to an end anyway. It may be better in terms of their rehabilitation for the publicity and the public attention to happen now and that then rehabilitation can take place over the years that follow, um, you know, when they, when they are during their prison sentences. What did you make of, of what you witnessed, and in particular, the special measures that were put in place for the defendants, you know, Boy Y being able to give evidence by typing his answers, things like that? I've never seen that before. No, I've never. And I wondered what your, your, what your thoughts were on, on some of those measures that were put, put in place for them. Yeah, I think it's very unusual. Um, it's it's not something I've um, seen uh, before. But the courts, you know, the judge in the case, everyone will be concerned that, especially when you're dealing with children, who will be bewildered by the surroundings of a court, and so they do um, take these measures to try to make that process. Um, understandable for them and we can look back to the um, killing of James Bulger mm. and Thompson and Venables and one of the things that emerged from that trial um, was that it was seen as um, not satisfactory that they had been tried in very much an adult court mm. with an adult proceedings justice being done the defendants and their vulnerabilities have to be taken into account so that they are part of the process. Just a final one one from me about um, Brianna's mum's words on the steps, which is the parents of these two defendants, you know, deserve empathy. These parents have lost children as well. The interesting thing is, and uh, as we all know as journalists covering stories like this, 
the likelihood is everyone in culture where this took place will know the identities of these two people anyway. Um, but it's about lifting the restrictions so that the wider public has an understanding of who these people are and why they might have committed these crimes. I, I think that's very true. That's very true. And that's the point. Again, that's the point that the, the judge made that the, the, in the community that they live in, it's very likely that very many people know them. And I thought it was very, it was very significant um, that uh, Brianna's mum made that appeal for people not to act against the, the family who were mm. you know suffering as suffering as well and the judge acknowledged the suffering of the the family of the of the defendants and it's a very kind of humane thing for Brianna's mother to say in you know this is about wider society having an understanding of this crime and and who it is that committed it and how they came to do it. I think it's a kind of acknowledgement of the real world. There's only so much that the law can do and where there is knowledge in the community of, of, um, of who people are, then it then it then falls to the police really to take action, any appropriate action that there might be to, um, uh, if there are any um, you know, threats made or harassments or anything like this, you can't make people unknow what they already know. So yesterday in the verdict episode, we also heard a bit from um, Detective Chief Superintendent Mike Evans, who's the head of crime at Cheshire Police. Now, he was one of the first officers on the scene on the day that Brianna died. He talked to us a bit about how dark this crime was and among one of the most harrowing cases of his career to investigate. Yeah, he said uh, these two children had not just the will to do what they did, but a sort of thirst for it as well. And just the sinister nature of their messages, the pre-planning he talked about. Um, and we thought that we should bring you that interview in full today. Do you want to start by just talking us through how you feel after both these defendants were found guilty? Our overwhelming thoughts at the minute are with Brianna's family for what's been a horrible time. Um, they've been put through a traumatic trial by these two defendants who have shown no remorse throughout. Your head of crime at Cheshire, you must have dealt with so many investigations in your time um we've covered many many court cases i don't think i've ever covered a case quite as dark as this what's your thought of overwhelmingly what you've dealt with i suppose before we go into the detail i think the whole case is as you say is extremely dark um added to the fact the age of the defendants the age of brianna herself the amount of pre-planning involved in the offense i think make it just quite so harrowing as it was um, and it's just a tragedy for three young people. And we've heard in the trial, haven't we, a lot about um, the dark web and that Girl X was watching a lot of dark material on the internet. Um, I don't know, we found it quite hard to fathom that kids, essentially, they're children, aren't they, you know, 15, and we're seeking this kind of information out. How, how much do you think that's influenced what's happened? I think it's really worrying that they were able to access that information. Um, it's probably a little bit of a wake-up call to all of us with kids around actually how tech-savvy young people are at the minute and how um, easily accessible information is and what they will search. What I would say is this is an extremely rare case. Um, these two individuals, uh, you know, you, you don't get cases like this often. Um, I, I'm not sure whether the internet's played a part in it or not. 
Um, I think they're both intelligent individuals who've known what they were doing right up until the point they've killed Brianna. For many parents with teenagers, with kids who live their lives on their phones, live their lives on the internet, we spoke to someone, an expert in the dark web this week, and he says if they know where to go, there's nothing to stop them getting on those sites. And that's really frightening. It is. Um, technology moves at such a pace that I don't think any of us are keeping up with it. It's having that sort of want and will to, to find that material, which they've clearly had. And as you say, that one of the most disturbing things is how ordinary they were, how ordinary the backgrounds were. And I think that's the bit that um, we find it hard to resonate with sometimes is these two normal kids, so to speak, have done something so horrific. These are intelligent people. You can tell from the way they articulate themselves that they are highly intelligent, articulate human beings. But fantasy and reality don't seem to have distinction in their minds. Would that be one of the things you've, you've thought about? I'm not sure it ever was fantasy and reality or whether this was always their reality. I think in some respects to suggest it's just fantasy minimises what they've done. I, I think they've known from the outset what they were planning to do. And fantasy is now a convenient defence for them. I, I would agree with you, they're both extremely intelligent, which is another strange thing about this case is that they're both from sort of mainstream families both very very intelligent both very articulate um and for me the their downfall has probably been their level of intelligence because of the arrogance that's brought and the fact that i don't think they ever for one minute thought they were going to get caught for what they've done on the face of it you know listening to the case when it's presented the way it was presented it appeared open and shut i suppose if you were sat in the courtroom their defenses were pretty flimsy i know from talking to you that it was you know, quite painstaking. Obviously, the amount of information on their phones, while it looked like there was, obviously, there was the plan and the murder plan and the, the messages between them. But I imagine that was sifting through the amount of information on their phones was a mammoth task. Yeah, as we sit here today in the convicted, and it looks like a, a relatively straightforward three week trial, you know, you go back nine months, and that was painstaking day by day. Um, the text messages we didn't get, till several days into the investigation. So um, one of the first things very early on was our family liaison officers, which is what we do whenever we have a murder is deploy family liaison officers to support the family, but also to act as evidence gatherers. That gave us Girl X's name, or a first name at least, which then allowed us to identify her through local education authority, which then allowed us, led us on to Boy Y. And then through the swift action around them, that then gave us evidence to the clothing and the phone and everything else. And obviously they blamed each other in the prosecution case was, um, you know, that it was his knife. His knife was found with Brianna's blood in his wardrobe. Do you think you'll ever kind of really know what happened in the park? No, and, and probably one of the saddest points of this is that I don't think we will ever get those answers for Brianna's family. Um, as cocky and arrogant as they were throughout um, prior to this offence, they've now become quite cowardly throughout their defence in blaming each other. Um, and I'm not sure either of them will ever step up and tell the truth around what happened that day. Is your thought that they both had a hand in the actual attack? Because obviously most of the physical evidence is, is his. I, I honestly don't know, um, which is why obviously it's been tried as a joint enterprise. I, I would certainly say that Girl X knew exactly what she wanted to happen that day. We've seen the note, we've seen the planning that went into it. Um, the physical evidence would support Boy Y certainly in terms of forensic blood on his clothing and everything else, as to whether both of them attacked Brianna that day, I'm not sure we'll ever know unless they decide to talk to us. Some people have said that he would never have done this without her influence. What's your feeling after having met them both and know what they were like in interview and seeing those messages? Do you have a view on that? 
Um, I certainly think that Girl X was the driving force behind the, um, certainly in terms of, um, you know, she befriended Brianna, who was extremely vulnerable at that time. She led Brianna out under the guise of being a friend and meeting her. Um, And I think to an extent, she has played a um, part in manipulating Boy Y throughout this. Um, But then, you know, I reflect on the fact that you, you can't stab someone multiple times unless you actually want to do that. So I think they're probably both as reprehensible as each other. And there's some evidence from her social media that she spent a lot of the pandemic watching kind of like horror films. And have you thought about that? Was Do you think kind of lockdowns had any kind of influence on why why they might have done this? Again, it worries me slightly that um, it almost takes away their responsibility that in that lockdown we know was difficult for an awful lot of young people. Um, an awful lot of people were isolated through lockdown. Um, we're not seeing an awful lot of people doing heinous acts like this. And again, I just think it's two um, individuals who decided to take a life that day. Can we go back a bit to the messages? You mentioned 11,000 pages of these messages that you, you sort of came across a few days after. I don't know who goes through all that, what teams go through all of those messages, but I wonder what the reaction is when you start to see what they were saying to each other and the sort of plan and just that level of viciousness really you can't have imagined you would have found that level of it's depravity really isn't it yeah it's horrific it's cruel it's dehumanizing um our major investigation team who, who dealt with this are outstanding um uh, and um if we go back now sort of hour by hour more evidence came at a time and i don't think um each message in isolation is bad enough but i think now it's only when you look back and you look at all of them as a conversation thread that you realize quite how cold and cruel it was Without those messages, without you talked about them being arrogant, um, there's a bit of naivety as well, isn't there? There really because they're young, whether they're intelligent, but they're naive. They basically left a trail, didn't they? Yes, they did, um, and that trail was instrumental in dismantling their defence. So um, I don't think you can plan for something for so long and then turn around and say you didn't know it was going to happen to the detail that you know. Bring a knife with you. Which knife are you bringing? Is it sharp enough to cut someone? And then to turn around and say it was all fantasy um, has probably been their undoing. And, and we know she had a, a so-called kill list. So there was four of the boys on um, a list of people that they, for very trivial reasons, it seems, uh, most of the time that they had had designs on getting rid of. Brianna was tragically probably the easiest target. Is that mm. is that your feeling? She, she, I mean, uh, from, from listening to the evidence, I, I wouldn't say she was killed because she was transgender that just made her more vulnerable is that your take home yeah so my first thing is that brianna did absolutely nothing to deserve this um no one ever could but brianna was absolutely um not responsible for anything that took place that day Uh, but i do agree with you her her vulnerability um and the fact that she was isolated the fact that she didn't uh, have a big physical social circle and the fact that she trusted girl x meant that she was easy to get out of the address and easy to take somewhere where she was isolated and then attacked. And I think it was that accessibility and her vulnerability that led to her being the person that they chose to kill at that time. But obviously there were some dehumanising messages where he obviously referred to Brianna as it and femboy and, you know, derogatory terms, which he actually accepted, in, I think, in his evidence, when he gave evidence that he accepted were derogatory terms. There is a hate element to, to, to what happened, but do you think... They were motivated by hatred. So within an hour or so of 
um, Brianna's body being found, we established who she was. Um, we established pretty quickly that she was transgender. Um, so from a, a senior detective point of view, our SIOs are, are thinking around potential hypothesis. Is it a sexually motivated attack? Is it a transgender attack? You know, is it a random attack? So they have that open mind. Um, what we didn't do at any point was brand it as something and, and go off on a tangent because the danger with that is it, it leads you looking for clues in the wrong places, so to speak. Um, so the investigation team just followed the evidence. Um, that evidence obviously took us to Girl X and Boy Y. And then it was when we got those messages back, as you can see, um, in a strange way, Girl X is quite obsessed with Brianna, mm -hmm. um, almost attracted to her, I think, was some of the suggestion and showed no hostility whatsoever, apart from the obvious. Boy Y, though, I agree with you, there's some real dehumanising uh, transphobic comments in there, which I think just show the level of individual he was. I just wondered whether it, it added to the viciousness of the attack. Is there any thought that it was so frenzied and so ferocious because of his anti-trans views? Again, I don't think we'll ever know the actual answer to that unless he decides to tell us. Um, for me, personally, I think whoever they'd have attacked that day, they'd have shown that level of contempt towards um, and sort of disrespect when, when you read the messages in relation to others. Um, there's nothing that suggests it was a worse attack because... Brianna was transgender. You mentioned, Liz, about um, the kill list and the people on it. These are normal teenage disagreements, aren't they? Yeah. He's upset my boyfriend. Just trivial stuff that happens every day in a school. And the fact that it can get to this, and that puts them on a kill list. I mean, those four people on that list, they're lucky, aren't they? They are extremely lucky, yeah. And those four people are being visited and their families um, will be supported if that's required as we go forward. Um, and I agree with you absolutely. You know, these are disagreements that take place in every school, mm -hmm. in every town or city across the country, and they don't normally um, develop into this. But we had two extremely sadistic individuals who did what they did to Brianna for no rhyme or reason. And have you been into the school? Yeah, so I haven't personally, but we have had officers as, as lines of inquiry in contact with the school. Um, what I would say to anybody who's in the circle of either of these two individuals is nobody is responsible for what they did that day mm -hmm. except those two. Um, it couldn't be predicted. You know, there were no sort of warning signs. Mm. They lived this lifestyle where they, um, it was all in text between those. I'm, you know, I, I often look back and think, was there a missed opportunity? Yeah. I don't yeah. think there was. They've got no criminal backgrounds. Um, and it was very, uh, you know, you look at girl X, she wasn't having the same conversations with a boyfriend that she was having with boy Y. On the podcast, I've had quite a lot of questions on the podcast that we'd like to try and answer about joint enterprise what that means if there isn't any evidence that one person didn't wield the knife how do you charge them both with murder and liz and i both come across joint enterprise before in gangs liz obviously covered gary newlove which was again a joint enterprise mm -hmm. crime can you walk us through what it means and what it means in relation to these two so joint enterprise is is cha quite challenging and um, we know it's controversial at times and i think you look at the likes of gary newlove those spontaneous attacks yeah where what you are saying is that two or more people have had the same intent. You don't need to show who delivered the um, actual blow. And I think where it can be controversial, I say, is the likes of Gary Newlove or a spontaneous brawl where something's happened um, and then someone can genuinely say, I didn't know that was going to take place and feel aggrieved that they're being convicted. I think in this case, um, it's quite right that it's joint enterprise because we've seen from the very beginning stages of this that the two of them have had such communication conversation planning around it that i don't know how either of them could realistically say um there was no intent and especially when you know you look brianna was stabbed 28 times forensic evidence would point towards 
boy why but actually you look at sort of a lot of the planning and um the instrumentalness behind it was girl x so the legislation fits perfectly just on the level of um care shown to these two defendants as part of the process you know don't have to be in court they can have toys um giving evidence behind screens um pointing to a not guilty sign rather than saying the words does any of that make you frustrated you know you're looking for justice for Brianna or do you think it's just part of the process that you know ultimately is part of what we do in a democratic society I absolutely get that from an outsider looking in it it can look um unjust at times and it looks like they're being treated with kid gloves so to speak um what I would say, and you said it quite right, is this has always been about justice for Brianna. And if that means that we have to take more breaks or they use um, you know, special equipment to articulate their responses, that ultimately has led us to get into where we've got to today. Um, and the good thing about the justice system in this country is it's a secure conviction to deliver that justice for Brianna. So that's it for today. We'll be back again tomorrow with another interview, this time with an expert on the dark web. In the meantime, you can follow us on X at The Trial Podcast and contact us, The Trial, at mailmetromedia.co.uk. You can leave a comment on Spotify or even send us a voice note on WhatsApp on 07796 657 512. Start your message with the word trial. See you then. <laughs>